morning. Welcome to church. Welcome to everybody upstairs uh, in the Well Cafe. It's good to be in worship with you uh, today. It's a special day. It's Father's Day. So uh, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers and people that have uh, been like fathers to us in the room. Happy Father's Day to my father. Uh, you're a great dad. You raised uh, four boys and you still have hair on your head, so you're doing good. Um, I'm happy for him and get to celebrate him a little bit later today, so I hope you get to celebrate uh, those that have uh, influenced your life so um, today and make them feel honored, dads. I hope you have a great day off so you can spend it doing chores and honey-do lists around the house. And so I, I know that's how uh, a lot of people like to spend their Father's Day is actually doing the things on the list that they haven't had a chance to do yet. All the way around, I hope you feel blessed today. I hope you've been honored. If you haven't had donuts or gotten you one of these nifty little pens yet, I think they have those still over uh, in the atrium. If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny. I serve as one of your pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. And if this is your first time or maybe first time in a long time uh, in church, I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad we get to worship together. I hope you've been blessed as I know we've been blessed by your presence. I want to mention a couple things real quick. Uh, you've heard uh, people mention Vacation Bible Camp that happened uh, last week. So what I want to do real quick, we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the sermon. But if there's anybody here, any adult, uh, any youth, uh, that helped make Vacation Bible Camp happen. If you served in any capacity, uh, downstairs or upstairs, if you would please stand so that we can celebrate you. Stand, yeah, there we go. What you do is incredible uh, in, in serving our children and, and uh, mentoring them and, and being with them that week. Uh, just thank you so much. Uh, this was my, my son Charlie's first vacation Bible camp, and he had an absolute blast thanks to you. So thank you so much uh, for what you do. The other thing I want you to know is next week is a very special Sunday in the life of our church. June 26th uh, is our farewell celebration for Mike. Uh, you saw in the announcement video about the picnic that's going to be there, and we're going to have one service next weekend at 11 o'clock uh, in the sanctuary uh, where we celebrate Mike. We've got a lot of surprises in store for him, and, and we're going to do... Uh, we're going to try to do uh, the impossible, which is tell him thank you uh, for the years that he has spent leading us and loving us uh, here in this community and in this church. So I hope you uh, make it a point to be here next week. Uh, there will be a lot of people here. And so uh, get here early if you want a seat in the sanctuary or a parking spot on our campus. Uh, if you're not going to make it early, we'll have parking shuttles coming from Worley Middle School, from probably from Walmart and from all over the place. Uh, just find a place to park and make it here because you're not going to want to miss it. We'll also have plenty of seating uh, in our atrium and also here in the chapel for overflow. If you don't want to fight crowds over there, um, we'll be broadcasting all of it live in these venues as well. So there's plenty of space for everybody that wants to come uh, and be a part of that special occasion. So I hope you make it here. Now, if you brought your Bible with you, if you would please turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament, if you're new to the Bible. Uh, so you can look in your table of contents, probably the easiest way, and you can find it uh, right there if you need help with that. No shame in that game. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, if you did not bring a Bible with you and you need one, down here in the well, we have them underneath the seat in front of you. There's a blue Bible there. Upstairs, we have a shelf in the back full of blue Bibles. If you're using that, you can find the page number uh, on the screen. Uh, you can see that there. We'll get to that in just a minute. 
If you were here last week, you know we started a brand new series called God at the Movies. Uh, And if you were not here last week, you might be asking yourself, why would we do such a thing? Why are we talking about movies in church? What do movies have to do with God? Why would we... Uh, Why would we do that here? Well, two reasons. First of all, it's just fun, and don't be a party pooper, okay? We want to have fun. It's summertime. Let's talk about movies and lots of fun things that come along with that. But secondly, and most importantly and more pastorally, uh, we we believe that um, as humans, we are storytellers. Our lives are driven by story. Uh, Stories help us uh, find meaning in life. It helps us express our deepest values. Jesus used stories all the time. If you look through the Gospels in the New Testament, Jesus made up stories all the time to, to explain very complicated things like, uh, uh, like love, like forgiveness. Uh, you look at stories like the Good Samaritan or uh, the Prodigal Son. These are made up stories that Jesus told that expressed very complicated and complex ideas in a way that was very real to us, in ways that we could understand. So stories are a big part of our life. And the art of storytelling can actually be a window into the deepest parts of who we are. It can be a window into our souls. And one of the most effective ways we have to tell stories today is through film. It's through film. The pen is blinding people upstairs. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) It says Yoda Best Daddy on it. So I just wanted to wear it because I feel like I'm the best. Sorry, people upstairs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One of the be- most effective ways that we can tell stories today is through film. It engages many of our senses. It helps us create worlds and things that are impossible for us to create here. It engages our imagination and immerses us into new worlds. Film is a great way to do that. So when we engage the art of storytelling through film, that we can maybe catch a glimpse of the stories that our souls are trying to tell. And that's why we do a series like this. It's fun, but it can also be deep because we know that through these stories that are being told through film, uh, we're catching a glimpse of the deepest parts of who we are, the things that we want to express, love, uh, pain, joy, worry. Uh, We get to see all these things and we get to engage them in a very real way. So last week we talked about Star Wars, and this week we're going to be talking about the Lego movie. Now, uh, if you've seen the Lego movie, you know how awesome it is, right? It's a 3D animated film that creates this entire world out of Legos. And it's quite spectacular. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of like, it has a feel of like the old claymation, kind of stop motion uh, movies from back in the day, like the California Raisins. Anybody? You know the California Raisins? Uh, it's kind of like that, but like way better, like way more advanced, and it's made out of Legos, and Legos are super cool. If you haven't seen it, here's a quick synopsis. The movie follows the main character, Emmett, who is this extremely ordinary construction worker. And he comes across this relic, right? And he becomes the special. He becomes identified as the special. And according to this prophecy, the special is the person who is going to save the Lego universe from the diabolical plots of Lord Business, right? This is Emmett's, this is Emmett's task. And this adventure that he goes on with these characters that he's finding is filled with fun. And it's filled with nostalgia, which is what makes it great for kids and adults. If you've seen it as an adult, you know all the, all the references that are in that movie that make it fun for us to watch as well. The Lego movie was a milestone movie in the Brower House because it was the very first movie we took our son Charlie to go see in the theaters. 
February 2014, we finally decided it's time to go. We're going to take him to the theater. He's young. I don't know if he's going to understand what's going on, but we're going to go. We're very excited about it. We've heard good things about this Lego movie. Uh, So we're going to take him there. I absolutely loved the movie. But there was a part of me that was a little nervous. I I didn't know the content of the movie. I didn't know if Charlie was going to understand it. I didn't know if he was going to have a good time. It can be really loud in those theaters. It can get kind of intense, and it's a big screen, and it's a lot of stimulation. I didn't know how he was going to handle it. So I spent a lot of the movie looking at Charlie as he watches the movie. And what I found was just amazing to watch his face in the glow of that big screen and to see his imagination just working overtime, taking in all that he saw, processing all of it. It totally engaged in this movie. It was a whole new world for him. It was, it was blowing his mind. I mean, he loves to go to the theater, and it's all thanks to this experience uh, at the Lego movie. But I could see when his face would get very serious during the intense parts, right, when he's hoping things would work out. I could hear him just erupt in laughter and see the joy on his face when the funny parts would happen. And the smile that would creep across his face ear to ear when things worked out just the way he hoped they would. Such joy. And I loved watching it. And so we, of course, when the movie came out, we bought it. And we've seen it about a million times since. And if you haven't seen it with your kids, this is a fantastic movie. I would love for you to do that. There's a scene in that movie that I, I particularly resonated with. Uh, something that it was my favorite part of the movie, I think. Uh, and it's a little bit of a twist. So if you haven't seen the movie after two years, this might be a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, but you've had two years, so I'm not really that concerned about it. What we find out near the end of the movie is that this whole Lego universe that we've been immersed in, these characters that we've been following, the storylines that that have been building, um, this world that these characters have been inhabiting are really just the product of this young boy's imagination. The vast majority of the movie takes place in this digital world, right, full of Legos, uh, but we find all of a sudden we, we, we come back into reality in this real world with actually real humans as actors, and you see this young boy who has really created this whole world in his mind, and he's playing with Legos in his home. But it's a, it's a really cool twist, but then the, the problem arises when the dad arrives home. Now, all these Legos are in the basement, and the dad comes home and sees his son playing with these Legos, which turn out to be dad's Legos. They're not son's Legos, they're dad's Legos, and this is actually quite a serious hobby for him. And so he has everything just so. He has these specific cities and specific worlds that he has created with these Legos. And everything is supposed to remain as dad has built it. And in the clip you're about to see is the, is the reaction that dad has when he comes down the stairs and find his, finds his son playing with his things in a rather creative way. So take a look at this clip with me if you would. What happened? Oh no, this is a disaster. Wyatt, Wyatt, what, what, what? The, the, why is the dragon on top of the luxury condo development? I was just playing and... Look, I know it's hard to understand, but this is dad stuff, okay? All of this that you see before you is all your father's. And everything is thought out. There is... What did you do down here? Did you take the top off of the tower? It was an accident. You accidentally, expertly carefully took the entire top off of that tower? Yes. You, you know the rules. This isn't a toy. Um, uh, it kind of is. No. Actually, it's a highly sophisticated interlocking brick system. But we bought it at the toy store. We did, but the way I'm using it 
makes it an adult thing. The box for this one said ages 8 to 14. That's a suggestion. They have to put that on there. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I totally resonate with that, Dad. Like, I totally get it. Charlie has a little Lego collection of his own at the house. They're all Star Wars, of course. And I can remember when he got his first set, and I couldn't wait for us, him, to play with them. We were very excited, and, and so we sat up at the table, and I, I got the instructions out, and he got the bricks out, and I helped him read the instructions, and, um, and he got to put it together all on his own. And he was so proud because he worked so hard looking at the picture that was on the box, reading the instructions, and wanting that creation that he made to turn out just like the picture on the box. And when he was finished, he was so proud of himself. But then, much to my dismay and horror, Charlie actually wanted to play with it when he was done building it. And I thought to myself, son, that's not how these work. <laughs> You're supposed to just build it and then not play with it. You're supposed to build it and then look at it. Why would you ever want to ruin such a beautiful thing by actually playing with this toy that, you, that you've made here? You should just leave it right there. You should just admire it. You should marvel at your accomplishment, pat yourself on the back, bring your friends over, bring mom out, and just show them, and then just let it sit there like a trophy. Like, look what you created, then just let it be there. Because I know, I know, if he plays with it, he's going to break it. And if he breaks it, that means there's going to be pieces on the floor. And the only way you find missing Lego pieces is with your feet. <laughs> and if you lose the piece, you can't build it again. It won't ever look the same. And if that lost piece gets mixed up with other Lego sets, then now we have complete chaos. And I don't know what this world is about anymore. Like, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. You can't play with it. There are consequences. There are risks involved. But that's just the thing. Charlie didn't care about all that. He didn't even think about it. He had no idea there were even risks or consequences involved. What Charlie wanted to do was play with his toy. He wanted to set his imagination free. For him, the investment in building the Lego should have culminated in playing with the Lego and being able to create these worlds and play in these worlds. He didn't think about or even know that there were dangers or risks involved with playing with this complex interlocking brick system that he had before him. Because when you're a kid, you don't often, if ever, think about the consequences. You only think about possibilities. That's how kids operate. This is why their imaginations are so big, because they don't think about the limits. They don't think about the risk. They don't think about the consequences. And that gives us heartburn sometimes. But they don't think about that. They only think about the possibilities that they have when they play. This is why their imaginations are so big. There's no rules. It's just wonder. And while we as adults see that and kind of gives us heartburn sometimes because of the way they play with things or the things that might be dangerous that they do, Right now, if you spend just a minute thinking back to when you were a young boy or a young girl, you can think about those days too. Can you remember them? I know it hasn't been too long for all of you, but you can remember when you were young. Go back to that time. It's summertime now, right? Can you remember when you were done with school and you were at home and those first couple days were the longest days because you were so bored and you were getting on your parents nerves and they were going broke because you were eating all the food in the pantry because you were so bored but after a couple days after a couple days when your imaginative juices started flowing 
and you started figuring out how to play. And if you had siblings, you were playing with your siblings or your friends down the street. And then you had endless possibilities because you had all afternoon to do whatever, to create whatever. It was, it was limitless. You'd get your box of Legos out and you, could, you had everything you needed to build a house or a, a castle or a city or a, a car. It didn't matter if all the pieces matched and were the same color. It didn't matter if you actually had wheels or if they were the same size. You could make whatever you wanted. You could create whatever world you wanted. Maybe you didn't have Legos. You didn't play with Legos. But you had the greatest toy that has ever been created on accident in all, in all of history. You had that cardboard tube when you're done with paper towels, you know, or, or wrapping paper. Those were like this big. Or toilet paper, like this big. Those aren't as fun. But you had that tube, right? And it could be anything. It could be a sword. It could be a laser gun. It could be a telescope. It could be anything. My, my brother and I, we used to have them. We'd, we'd sword fight with them. And eventually, they'd start to come unraveled. And now they're nunchucks, right? Like we had, This could be anything in the world. Maybe the floor in your house was lava, right? And you had to jump from couch to chair and then put cushions on the ground to get from place to place because you, you can't step on the ground because that's lava now. You had a box, a good sturdy box could be anything, hours of fun. It could be a boat, it could be a spaceship, you could make it into a fort. You give, give me a good sturdy box nowadays, I could have tons of fun with that for any amount of time. You could go outside and you would find sticks and you would have endless amount of fun with sticks. Our imaginations were so big, we could do so much with so little. There were no limits to our world because we didn't have to live in reality anymore. There's a phrase that you hear often, and you might say it from time to time, that goes something like this, life was much simpler then. You ever said that? You ever thought that? And it's true. It was. Life was so much simpler then. There's no way our young minds could ever conceive of how complex and complicated life could actually be. I look at my son Charlie and the worries that he has in the day, and I think, son, you have no idea yet. You have no idea what it's like to be a dad or a parent and look at you and have so much joy and love for you, but then also have so much concern and worry. So much hope for you that brings a lot of worry because I want all those things to come true for you. You don't know how high the stakes can be in our life sometimes. You don't know how complicated and hard relationships can be. You don't know how complicated it can be to have a job and keep a job or to find a job. You don't know what it's like to have bills pile up and, and to worry about your family and how you're going to make ends meet and how you're going to take care of them. On top of that, son, we are just so tired. <laughs> I'm tired now. You get to take naps at school. We don't. <laughs> like, we're just tired. Something happens when we grow up. When we grow up, we become aware of the complexities of life and the responsibilities that we bear. And this is a very good thing. Being responsible is a good thing. Taking care of our families and our friends, this is a good thing. Being responsible is a good thing. But we also have to understand that as we grow and as we see the complexities of life and as the worries pile up, we lose something in that process, or at least there's the potential to lose something, to lose that imagination and that wonder, to set limits and barriers up in our life, to have pretense and inhibitions. 
because we're worried about the consequences. So that's just a fact. That's not to say that we shouldn't have responsibilities anymore and we're just, we're going to quit our jobs and play with cardboard tubes for the rest of our lives. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we have to recognize that in the process of maturing, in the process of growing up, we do leave something behind. And what would happen if we could embody all those things as an adult, the, the, the maturity that we get, the responsibility that we have, but also continue to see the world the way our kids see the world? What would happen? What do we have to gain there? For this, we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 18. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, this is an interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And so I'm going to start off reading. I'm going to read like a verse, and then we're going to talk about it, and then a verse, and then talk about it, and then a few verses, and then we're going to be over with. All right? So for those of you that are here for the first time, you're not really into church and the whole church thing, don't worry. We are almost done. You're almost out of here, and you got the whole day ahead of you. So uh, here we go. Chapter 18, uh, verse 1 of Matthew. Uh, it says this, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We'll pause there. Seems like an odd question. You would think the answer would be Jesus, like he's right there. Like, why are the, why are the disciples even asking this question? Uh, but if, if you look back in scriptures, uh, just, just before this moment, Jesus, for the second time, has predicted that he is going to be crucified, that he's going to be handed over to the powers that be. Uh, and they are going to kill him. He's going to be dead. He's going to be gone. And the disciples know that the, that the work that they have begun with Jesus is going to be left up to them. So maybe they're asking this question because they're wanting to know who's going to be the next leader. Or how they might become the next leader. What is it going to take for us to do that? It might just be pure curiosity, but I think it's maybe because they know Jesus is going to be gone and they want to be the best because you'll find them asking this from time to time of Jesus. And what other example do they have, right? They have Jesus there, but they've been talking a lot about this kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven place. And so they look around at the kingdoms of the earth and they think maybe they're the same. Maybe the people that are in power in the kingdoms of the earth are the same people that will be in power in the kingdom of heaven, right? Maybe they'll have uh, something similar. Maybe they will look very much the same. So certainly there's at least some similar criteria for those that will lead the kingdom of heaven as those that lead the kingdom of earth. So will it be Peter and his strength with his sword by his side? Will it be Matthew? And his financial prowess as a tax collector? Will it be Andrew or James? They're man's men, right? They're, they're fishermen. So they're going to be providers, right? They're, they're the ones that are going to be the, the, the leaders in the kingdom of heaven. They're going to be the greatest. In this time, it was really only men who led things in the kingdom of earth. And so they're looking around at other men and what it means to be a man and and they're thinking, that's what I have to be if I'm going to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what I'm going to aspire to be. And so they ask this question of Jesus because he's Jesus and he should know. He's going to guide us and direct us so that we can become that thing. And then Jesus does this, completely surprises him as he always does. Verse 2, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. Children in this day uh, were burdens. They were barely human. Sorry, kids in the room. We don't think that of you now. We've evolved since then. But at the time, uh, kids didn't feed themselves. They didn't care, take care of themselves. They didn't necessarily contribute to the family. 
They were a mouth to feed. Now, it was important to feed them because they needed to grow up and one day help support and take care of the family. But at the time, they were a burden. And until they were a full contributor, they weren't necessarily fully human yet. They certainly weren't the greatest. So when the question is asked, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? How do we become this? And Jesus pulls this little child and sets it in front of them. The disciples probably had this curious puppy look on their face like this, like, well, where's Jesus going with this? He couldn't possibly be talking about this child that he brings in front of them. They're so immature. They're not strong. They're the furthest from great. They don't have any immediate skills yet. Where's Jesus going with this? Verse 3, here's where he's going. He called a little child to him and placed the child among him, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus does what he always does. He totally blows people's minds. He flips things, the whole world on its end. Everything that we thought we knew, everything that we assumed, Jesus turns on its head. The paradox of the kingdom of heaven. A reign of God that defies all expectations. The, the people that will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, it's not like the greatness that exists in the kingdoms of the earth. It's much greater than that. And those that seem to be the least mature are actually the most mature. It's the least that are the greatest. And it's the smallest among us that contain the greatest faith. And if we want to be great. Jesus says, if we want to so much enter into the kingdom of heaven, we must become like the children among us. Notice the word lowly position there. That describes much what people thought of children, a very vulnerable state. But also somebody who wasn't bound by the restrictions, the limits of reality. People that had a faith and an imagination that was much greater because they didn't have those barriers in front of them. What Jesus is saying here is that a childlike faith is essential in our growth as a Christian. You can see that paradox there. To grow and to mature as a Christian is to have all the complexities of life, to understand the risks, to understand how complicated life can be and the responsibilities that we bear, and yet not lose that childlike faith, not lose that wonder, not lose that imagination that is so big that it doesn't put limits around what God can do. Becoming childlike in our faith is essential to our growth as a Christian. Now, this goes beyond tolerating our children. This goes beyond looking at our children and saying, this is the future here. We're raising up the future. It goes beyond that. And it says that they are the present, that they don't just have something to learn from us and we're continuing to bestow knowledge and wisdom on them, that we actually have something to learn from our children. Now, I know that sounds really great in theory, but Jesus means it when he says it. Jesus didn't throw out just theories that sounded nice. Jesus really meant things like this, that we have something to learn from our children. We actually need to become more like them. There's no greater example of this than uh, what we saw last week at va Vacation Bible Camp. There's a few pictures that will scroll on the screen if you haven't seen before. A couple of our church members took and posted on Facebook and uh, wanted to share with you just in case you missed them. 
Vacation Bible Camp happened this week, and we had, I, I couldn't tell you how many, probably a thousand plus kids uh, hanging around our church from the community and from in our church that are here crawling all over our campus. It was a beautiful, chaotic, noisy mess, and it was absolutely amazing. There were kids that were playing out and doing rec out in the, in the parking lot. They made crafts. They had small group times where many uh, of you uh, adults were there and, and pouring into them and nurturing our kids. They had large group time of worship in the sanctuary. And I can tell you, there is nothing, nothing that will warm your heart like being in a room like that and hearing kids lift their voices. Hearing kids worshiping and singing and dancing and celebrating the love and grace of God with no inhibitions, with no pretense, with no barriers, simply coming to the feet of Jesus with their eyes wide open, with their hearts wide open, filled with wonder and awe at the greatness of God. It's inspiring to see. I want to tell you a story. Last night I was preaching this sermon for our Saturday night worship service, and uh, we did something a little differently last night. Saturday night worship usually meets in the sanctuary, uh, but we actually met in the zone, which is the gym, if you don't know, over in the children's area, and it transforms into this like worship venue, which is really super cool. Uh, and we had worship over there, and we invited uh, our, uh, the children to come and worship with us. We showed the Lego movie after worship. It was a really fun time. We had like a billion pizzas there, and we all ate our fill of that. But I want to tell you, something magical happened in worship last night. Uh, and we have a couple pictures of this, too. When Holly started singing, she invited the kids to the front to come worship because there was a space in front of the stage to sing. And I looked up about midway through the first song, and there is this single child standing on the stage in front of Holly. Can you see? There he is right there. That's Grant. And he was up there just dancing and singing while the song was going on. By the second song, uh, that next picture please, uh, by the second song, there were more kids on the stage. Nobody told them to do this. They just started piling on the stage. And they came up there and they started dancing and they started singing. I'm going to admit to you something. I'm not proud of this moment, but I'm going to admit to you. When I saw Grant on the stage the first time, when I looked over and I saw Grant there, I went, oh, no. Oh, no, what do we do about this? Like, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. I know she meant up at the front. She didn't mean on the stage. Like, oh, no. But as it went on, as worship continued to happen, the beauty of, the mo of that moment overcame the dread I had of, of some rule breakers. <laughs> and I thought, this is beautiful. This is worship right here. This kid came up on stage with not a care in the world of what people would think. Not understanding that there were unwritten rules about how we worship in church, right? Like, you see the lines on your chair? That's your little piece of property in worship, right? Like, when you come to worship, you stand and sit in that spot. If you want to raise your hands, you better keep them right here. Don't get them in other people's places, right? Like, that's how we worship as adults. Because there are rules. There's order to the way things happen. But with our kids, there were not. There were no rules, and we say that we want to have childlike faith, and we say we want to abandon all inhibitions and, and fall at the feet of Jesus in worship. But I didn't see any adults come up there and just start standing on the stage and dancing. It was our kids. Later on Facebook, uh, Grant's mom, Katie, posted about this moment. 
And how beautiful that was for her as a mom to see her son up there worshiping just unashamed on the stage. And she says in that post that she asked Grant, what did it feel like when you were on stage up there? What did that feel like for you? And this is Grant's response. I could just see and feel everyone's hearts. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like what am I even doing up here? Like, <laughs> Grant, say that line and we're out, man. Church was 30 minutes long. We're done. <laughs> like, gosh, that was amazing. From a child, from the mouth of a child. It's only that childlike wonder that can imagine a love as great and as big as God's. Another way we could put that is only childlike faith can conceive of a love as great as God's. It's only a childlike faith that is big enough to even begin to conceive of, of the love as great as God's love because something happens as we mature. As we mature in our faith and in our life, complexities come, barriers come, limits come. And, and our ability to trust God shrinks because we understand or we think we understand that a lot of stuff falls on our, on our shoulders. We have to take care of things now. So we can't rely on God as much. But it's when we become childlike again, when we open our faith up to limitless possibilities because we have an unlimited God. Only then can we begin to conceive of that great love that God has for all of us. So on this Father's Day, I'm reminded of the responsibility and the joy that comes with being Charlie's dad. For those of you that are fathers in the room or upstairs or have been like a father to somebody who has cared for somebody and mentored somebody along the way, I hope you feel that today. The burden of responsibility, but also the joy that comes with being a dad. I hope to be a father that loves him and leads him like my father did for me. I hope that I can set an example for him of what it means to live a life of integrity and a life of love to share with others. I hope he makes good grades in school. I hope he gets a great job that he loves and that will pay him well. I hope he finds somebody to love and who will love him back like I have found. I hope all these things in his life. But when I read these words from Scripture, I'm reminded that part of my hope too is that in all of these things that I want for my son, in all these ways that I hope to lead my son and to guide my son, that I hope I don't snuff out that faith that he has now, that wonder and imagination that he has now that is so great and so big that I have something to learn from him. I hope that my heart is open and my mind is open to what Charlie has to teach me, not just what I have to teach him. I hope that I can recognize those moments when I don't feel like being patient, when I don't feel like being fun, when I don't feel like being imaginative and playful, I hope I can recognize those moments and put that aside and learn from my child. The Lego movie, the Lego movie reminds us of things like this, that imagination and creativity are important. And while responsibility is important and organization is important, that I hope we don't lose our creativity, and our imagination. And our children are great sources for that reminder. And Scripture reminds us 
that it's a childlike faith that makes us great. That the kingdom of heaven requires an imaginative faith as big as a child's. A faith that is set free from the limits and the boundaries that we unintentionally place there as we grow up. That's my prayer for all of us today. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for everybody who participated in worship, who comes here to sing, God, to, to read your scripture, to engage your presence, God. We just pray that, I pray that as, as we go from this place, God, that we honor the men in our lives, the men in our lives that play such an important role for us, that have guided us, that have directed us, that have loved us, that have led us. We thank you for them, God. And we thank you for our children who teach us what it means to have faith, a faith so big, God, that it comes to you without hesitation and without limits. In your name we pray. Amen.